0: Hello there, welcome to the 12th episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and alongside me, I have my co-host, Adrian Pinter. How's it going, man? General Kenobi, it is going quite all right. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. What's been uh, happening with you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, not
1: much. Just been working. Just been working a bunch, hanging out with my dog. That's really it, man. Honestly, it's been fairly a fairly uneventful week. Not much has happened. Yeah, that's really it. What about you?
0: Yeah, that's it for me as well. I've just been working. That's pretty much it. Mm. Other than that, editing podcasts. We I can relate. We watched our uh, a Closer Look episode, which is kind of cool. For Tenet, that was uh, neat. But otherwise, yeah, just working and podcasting what? lately.
1: I don't remember that. You sure that was me?
0: Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, what if speaking... it was me from
1: the future that was inverted,
0: that reverted? I think you would have just done it twice, uh, but other than that, oh uh, show corrections just to start into it real quick. In the montage last episode, uh, we specifically mentioned that Tom Hanks is api- apparently tied to Epstein. That is not true at all in any capacity, and so according just to, make to you. sure that uh, uh, we make that clear. I mean, QAnon definitely believes it's true, and you apparently think it's true, maybe, but uh, it's uh, according to fact checkers. No, no, I definitely don't Tom believe Hanks it's Tom Hanks connection. True.
1: Uh, what I definitely don't believe it's true. That was, that was quite literally my line, is that, do I believe it? I definitely do not.
0: Yeah, well, I'm just making sure, again, that it's very clear. There is no, him. He has not, he's not connected to the logbook for Epstein in any capacity. As so far as we part, know. So that part uh, is important. I would argue just to, I feel like we joke a lot about on, on this show, and we talked a little bit about pedophilia last show, and I just want to make it clear on that part. As much as we joke about it, people are really losing their shit right now in terms of pedophilia pedophilia. so i just want to make that clear tom hanks america's dad you know we don't want to besmirch his name in any capacity i do have some respect for tom hanks do you know personally no you don't need to necessarily know somebody to have respect for them
1: i know i'm just saying like we're both part of the industry i know him oh that's good i know him personally what's his middle name do you know uh tanks it's tom tanks hanks
0: ah yes yeah of Good old Tom Tanks Hanks.
1: Yep. Well, I know um, him very well. I was at his wedding reception. Not the wedding itself, just the reception.
0: Oh, you didn't get invited to the full wedding. No,
1: I was I was invited. I just had to, I had to go to Michael Keaton's wedding. Ah, of course. The same day.
0: Makes sense. Yep. righty. Well, let's go into the next correction. And to do that, let's reach into the ma- mailbag for a moment here, shall we? We ask our listeners to write into us with comments, questions, and corrections by way of Twitter or by email to splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. And Oliver Papov wrote into us. And Me? he said, Oliver Papov? Correct. And he said, Hi. Hi. I recently listened to your podcast. During the last episode, you guys talked a bit about Dune. Adrian considered Dune? Or is it Dune? Dune. Adrian considered the possibility that the film might not do that well. Possibly because it could be considered to be a cult classic rather than a larger, more mainstream thing. Being a big fan of the book, I wanted to analyze this a bit. First off, the stats. Over 20 million copies sold, what? and most likely Dune holds the title for the Gene. best-selling science fiction book of all time. That's Actually, crazy. I did check that, and it seems to check out. The you, record could be broken at this point, but either way, it's up there. Who do you think it would be broken by? I don't know, maybe Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I, I do believe that Dune holds the title. Dune. Aside that. Anyways, he goes on. Kind of hard to be a cult classic when your books make so much bank. Not to mention the author's son wrote a whole bunch of prequel novels that did okay, too. Yet, Adrian is not wrong here. How many people actually know of Dune, and if they know of it, can they describe what the book is about? Will they even know it is a book? Something so popular should be more well-known among non-fans. I mean, if you ask someone who hasn't watched Star Wars what it is about, you will get approximately the right answer. Not so for Dune. And yet, lack of recognition does not put Dune into cult territory by itself. You also need a few hipster-type people to reference it obscurely. Enter Grimes. The singer, who as a child named after a random assortment of symbols, named her first album, Gaty Prime, the home planet of the villains in Dune. Dune. And yet, one might counter the above by mentioning that it wasn't only a book. It was popular enough to be made into multiple video games, a trading card game, board games, and of course, movies. Dune's existence as a film almost deserves to be an entirely different topic of discussion. Let's touch on this briefly. Two films were attempted. The first of the two failed, but despite not being made became famous in its own right. You guys should check out a great documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune, which discusses this ill-fated attempt. So much pre-production art was made, and the concepts were so influential that it is said that Star Wars, Alien, and the Terminator series were all heavily influenced by it. For example, it was Jodorowsky, the director, who had the idea to hire H.R. Geiger, famous Swiss artist, to do the concept art for his version of Dune. Geiger would later be hired and become quite famous for designing the Xenomorphs in the Alien franchise. Ah,
1: I've heard of those things.
0: The second attempt, which did get made, was by the director David Lynch of Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive fame. This version provokes a lot of strong opinions. Fans of the book mostly hated it because it really departed into weird Lynch territory, getting away from the actual book in so many places. But strangely... It also has its own cult following, and in this case, the use of the term cult following is definitely correct. The film starred Kyle MacLachlan of Twin Peaks as Paul, and the singer Sting played the villain. David Lynch's Dune was so weird that the studio actually printed out a two-page explanation of the plot that they gave to everyone entering the movie theater. You were supposed to read this before the movie started, so as to understand what the thing was about. Oh my goodness, that's exactly what I want in a movie. Strangely compelling, and in my opinion, weird and terrible. At the same time, Lynch's Dune is probably worth seeing once, just so you can say you hate it. It's on Netflix right now, but wait for the new Dune, and watch that first. Dune. Honorable mention goes to the Dune miniseries, there might be more than one, that seems somewhat well-regarded as well. Anyways, back to our question. Is Dune a cult classic? I think the answer is yes, but the cult is a big one indeed. Keep up the good work, guys. Really enjoying this podcast. Regards, Papov. Wow! Thank you very
1: much, Oliver, for that very well explained explanation. It actually uh, sheds a lot of light. I'm not even being facetious. I don't really know much about Dune, but you gotta you gotta think about it this way: twenty million books sold. How many people are on planet Earth right now?
0: I see, but for a book though, that's that's a popular, that's a um, popular book.
1: I feel like everyone read books in uh, elementary school. And I believe every human being on planet Earth went through elementary school. So
0: I read 1984. Uh, Actually, I hadn't read Dune yet. I guess two-thirds. Is George Orwell's 1984? Yeah, exactly. Did you read 1984 as well? No. Oh, interesting. So I read that in school. But at the same time, that's not the best-selling book. It's Dune. So The interesting thing about Alejandro Jodorowsky is that he actually weighed in about the Denis Villeneuve trailer, which is kind of cool. So he watched the Dune trailer from... Denis Villeneuve, yeah. that just aired uh, two weeks ago or whatever?
1: Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I watched that trailer myself.
0: It was reported by a website, IndieWire. Jodorowsky explained to the French magazine Premier that, quote, It's very well done. We can see that it is industrial cinema, and there is a lot of money, and that it was very expensive. But if it was very expensive, it must pay in proportion. And that is the problem. There are no surprises. The form is identical to what is done everywhere. The lighting, the acting everything is predictable, kind of, oh. unquote. Um, he's kind of throwing shade, I'd argue, which is a, kind of unfortunate, but... Yeah, uh, that's odd. He's kind of doing the Scorsese uh, theme park films if I, on my recounting here, but... Who is this guy again? Sorry. So he's a director. What's his uh, name? Alejandro Jodorowsky.
1: What has he made?
0: He's made quite a few
1: films, but what's what's the most popular one that I maybe heard of?
0: Uh, I don't know if you've heard of any of them, but El so to Topo. The- you got the Holy Mountain, oh, and then uh, yes. famously, obviously, Jodorowsky's Doom is Dune is pretty famous as they I mean they made a documentary about it. But he never actually by made Frank it. Frank Pavich.
1: Did he actually make the movie though?
0: He never actually succeeded in mm. making it. So there's all this art and all that, but
1: so I'm not gonna throw shade at Alejandro. But I, I, I put in the name Alejandro into Google and there's five Alejandros that pop up and Blakowski or whatever his last name is, is not one of those five names.
0: No offense, but I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, and for all you viewers out there, there is a problem with that type of research and that if you type anything into Google, it's actually basing it on your search history. So if you search history. other things and they are not related to Jodorowsky's Dune, then you're probably not going to get Jodorowsky. Although if you had searched that up or looked up Dune like Dune. a tremendous amount, you might have had his name come up. So I but don't. That's think- how searching works. Google is tracking every move you make. I'm sorry to burst your bubble well I'm, watching I don't think you,
1: I've you. ever Google searched the name Alejandro I know that doesn't matter nor have I ever watched uh, Star Trek because Alejandro Kirk
0: you. not to be a conspiracy
1: theorist but they do oh my god There's are actually, you queuing
0: on a new Netflix uh, movie Social, The Social Dilemma I think we talked about that. yeah, it was uh, part of one of those uh, The new releases on one of our episodes. Yeah, that specifically they talk about how everything you type into Google is tailored toward you because you want they want you to keep using Google. So
1: I'm gonna just start using Bing.
0: Fuck it. I'd imagine they do the same, but who knows? But
1: through Bing, you get um, Microsoft points that you can use towards Xbox Game Pass.
0: Ah, there you go. You should do it then. You should do it for that reason. I think oh, I'm honestly. gonna
1: start. I'm gonna sw- right now on the show. I'm switching my uh, my my main search engine to Bing. You guys hear the typing?
0: Just to go back to the Dune-Jodorowsky thing. So he didn't get his movie made. And then in the 1980s, specifically 1984, which is kind of funny because we were just talking about the book 1984. But in the year 1984, the Dune movie by David Lynch was made. And he went to go see it, having failed making his own movie in the 70s. And then he actually referred to it as a shitty picture in an interview recently with IndieWire as well. And that, I mean, it it is a 50% of Rotten Tomato, And as my... The original Dune? The ori- the Dune movie, not well. The original Dune is the book, but there's only I think well, there's that ah. in the miniseries, but yeah, he he claimed that nobody after he saw it, calling it a shitty picture, the David Lynch film from 1984, he claimed that nobody could actually make it, like no one could properly make Dune because it's a legend.
1: Well, I mean, if he's basing it on himself, obviously, because he couldn't fucking make it.
0: He couldn't make it either because yeah. he failed, and so just because
1: you of, fail doesn't mean that everyone else will fail, Alejandro. It's true.
0: He, he kind of hoped secretly, I think, that it would fail. And he was happy when it did because he failed as well. I think that's what, what happened. But it's kind of interesting. I it's wonder true. if this Probably. will be good. I, I had questions about this. I, Kenneth Saddlebauer actually messaged me a, a long time listener ago. of our show. Uh, he he messaged me last week and he he, he said that after we talked about Dune, Dune, he was concerned that this movie isn't long enough. One movie isn't really enough to cover this whole thing, and it, I think arguably it would have been nice if they did two movies to I break it up. I swear
1: to God, I remember hearing that they were splitting this into two movies. I feel like I read it. Maybe it was just some random bullshit. We got this covered. Article. I think he's doing a
0: TV series. Don't didn't I think that that's All about a boot
1: doom. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: it, but it was this about, it's almost like a spinoff series though. So I don't, it's not really completely connected to the events. Of the, well, it's going to be connected, but it's not about the first book hmm. in the series. So lots of interesting things with this. I'm curious to see how this movie is regarded by fans of the book. And there's a, again, there's a lot packed in the book. So this would be an interesting thing. It is split very much in two parts. The Book like it's book one, book two, and like kind of like it, yeah, in some capacity. Is it's different in that it, it, there's a big time jump, but there's less so of a, t- a time jump in Dune. But Dune. where it's split would have been perfect for two movies. I, I keep thinking, like, The Hobbit somehow got three movies, we were almost three hours each, and, and we couldn't each
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah, I didn't really like it that much. It, it could have I never watched this one, it could have been completed one. in one, I think. And uh, Peter oh, Jackson. Boy pushed for three i think two would have been okay too but they added a lot that wasn't even in the hobbit which is interesting usually you don't have enough time but they had too much the hobbit's not a very large book shorter than if i recall all hmm. three of the lord of the rings books so Anyways. i watched uh i
1: watched the first hobbit movie in theaters and the second hobbit movie in theaters
0: nice i think i saw all three in theaters uh, i never watched the third one. Oh, you never watched it at all no oh interesting it's the worst one is of the it three, in my opinion but
1: that's that's when the dragon starts blowing stuff up, no? Uh, it's The second movie ends with the it's dragon It's more about like, the Battle of Five Armies my. than the last one. So that you're telling me that the action sequence is the worst part? Because there's battle. no action in the other two movies, pretty much.
0: Oh, there's action. They threw They threw action. There's that one part with the orc. It's a journey movie. It, it should have been... Well, it's very much a journey book. And then the Battle of Five Armies oh. in the book, it kind of just... I mean, there's just barely a battle. Because the, the person you're following gets hit in the head and then they're, the battle's over.
1: Are you serious? That's how the book goes. Is that how the movie goes as well? No, it's a did whole movie show? about the battle.
0: Oh, almost the whole thing is about the battle, and I found it incohesive. I, I, incoherent, I should say. It wasn't cohesive either. But the the way that they actually showed the battle, I couldn't follow it very well, and I just found it wasn't really that well done. They had so hmm. much time. I don't know. There was moments. It was like what? I don't know why I can't follow where who the enemies are. But then when they did bird's eye shots, I was. Confused as to how they made it so confusing. Interesting. It was, it was a little strange. I I was not a fan. I think that they they could have ended it in two and made it concise. You know what movie actually has a pretty good uh, fight
1: scene with like some bird eye shots or like what? a war scene the the Warcraft movie. It's not a good movie by any means, but there's these scenes. The Warcraft
0: movie. I forgot you watched that.
1: Yeah. I really like World of Warcraft. And what the was, Warcraft was that game. on Rotten Tomatoes? Just the not curiosity. good. Was it's it directed well by Duncan Jones. No, it's definitely not well Who's Duncan? Sorry, who's Duncan Jones? I think that's the director's name. He's made a bunch of random shit. Oh, he made um, Moon, starring uh, Sam Rockwell in Source Code.
0: Well, that was very well regarded, actually.
1: Yeah, Moon's really good And Source Source Code's Code. okay. I like Source Code. That's with Jake Gyllenhaal.
0: Wow, yeah, it is 28% of Rotten Tomatoes for Warcraft. Source Code's
1: 92% on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Source Code's pretty good.
1: Source Code's a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, yes. Duncan Jones made uh, Warcraft. Not a good movie by any means. It's weird because they do a blend of like CG and live action, where like all the orcs are CG and obviously the humans are live action. And the movie starts off with the orcs just coming in being like this force to be reckoned with. And then all of a sudden the humans are having a conversation like... They're bigger than us, but we're faster. And and then it's literally like one line of dialogue and then it's like an equal playing field. I'm not even joking. That is an actual thing that happens in the movie.
0: What do you mean it's one line of dialogue? Like where they're like,
1: how are we losing so bad? These things are so strong. And then um, oh,
0: I see what you mean. And it, then the, the turning l- point was the one line of dialogue. Yeah, where they're like, "Oh, but we're faster."
1: And they're like, "Wow, now no, we're faster!" No
0: way! I never would have guessed that. It's like that moment in Space Jam where Bugs Bunny creates the secret juice, the secret sauce, and it'll, but it's just water, and then yeah. he gives it to all his teammates, and now they're all. It just fools them into thinking. Placebo Just realize essentially that they're now superhuman. Anyways, the reason
1: I brought up Warcraft is cuz the battle at the end of the movie, there's this birds-eye shot where the camera like goes up right. and then shows everything happening and it okay. actually looks like uh the Warcraft like RTS sort of.
0: Oh, that's smart. It, that's it's a really good cool callback. I it's guess. really cool.
1: I really like that. It's like the only thing I liked about
0: that movie, probably.
1: Cool. Yeah, I didn't watch it cuz it looked bad. It's not good
0: and it's not worth watching. That's fair. I am very excited for Dune, though. Uh, again, Dune. I must say, I probably will watch this uh, documentary, but I think I'll wait for the. For first of all, I'm going to finish the book, and then once I Are you reading that, the book right yeah? now? I am. Oh yeah, you mentioned, I mentioned that last, that last week. episode. I'm listening to it on Audible, so I'm not mm. reading it with my eyes, but with my ears. And Just uh, like you guys
1: are all reading this podcast with your ears.
0: Exactly, it's a pretty great book. It's super inventive and it's super unique in a, a lot of ways, and it's I mean old. Like it was written years ago, and how many years ago? 1965 was the ah, date that the year you were born. Frank Herbert released it, so yeah, the year the year I was born. Sure, but yeah, I'm super excited. Again, it, it's amazing. It, it, it is really good so far, and I and I do kind of wish that Denis Villeneuve s- split it up into two uh, two parts. But I wonder if maybe he just couldn't get authorization from from Warner Brothers to get that to happen.
1: But maybe he is, and we just don't know it yet.
0: Is st- is creating two movies? Mm-hmm. And you're Just keeping it a secret, and it's possible. I have never seen that though. Have you seen that before? Not recently, anyway. Maybe I missed something, but I,
1: um, like Avengers Infinity War,
0: we didn't know it was gonna end like that. We didn't, but we we knew that it was pretty much there was a second part. They they announced it way ahead of time that these two Avengers movies were gonna be go hand in hand, yeah. And we don't have that impression. I didn't get that, anyways, with Dune. If that's the case, and you know about this listener, please write into us, it's a focus podcast. At gmail.com, just like Oliver Popov has and Kenneth Stadelbauer many times. And we're actually going to get to a Kenneth Stadelbauer email at the end of this podcast as well. Oh. But before we get there, what have you been watching, Adrian? What is it that's that your eyeballs have been glued to a screen to view? Mm, that's a good
1: question, Simon. Let me tell you what I've been watching. I'll talk about something that you've already brought up multiple times, and uh, I'll just kind of keep it brief. I finished Better Call Saul Season 5. Sweet. That's my freaking goodness. The show is, in my opinion, the most outstanding drama of this past year.
0: I agree completely. And we're, we're going to talk about the Emmys in a short moment. But, man, it is amazing. It is the best show I think I've watched this year. Uh, for shows. Maybe ever. But I, I just think that this is this might come off as controversial, even though Breaking Bad has won many awards. I do believe that it is better than Breaking Bad and I, said I this agree before. And I don't think I'm just saying this just because I've watched it recently or anything. I just think they've learned Vince Gilligan, the creator, has learned from his not mistakes, but learned from his experience on Breaking Bad, and has created a masterpiece.
1: I no, I agree completely, man. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And again, I I've watched Breaking Bad just like recently. I right, yeah, you get, you
0: get to compare them pretty close. Yeah, together. I watched
1: Breaking Bad, and then I watched El Camino, and then I immediately started watching Better Call Saul after, and I, I definitely do. I do, I do believe that Better Call Saul is top-tier television, and I like it more than Breaking Bad, personally.
0: I don't think you did in the beginning, though, which is interesting. Like, it grew, The first season, yeah,
1: no. Like, again, I, I hate using that example of, like, oh, like, it gets better after the first season or the second season. But it does. But it genuinely does. And, I mean, the same argument can be made with Breaking Bad. Although uh, I love, like, season one and two, Breaking Bad, I feel like, really hits its stride in season three and four. And then uh, season five of Breaking Bad has... One of the best episodes of any TV show ever, Mandius. directed by our very own Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Just funny because he also directed the worst episode of *Breaking Bad*, *The Fly*.
0: Is that the worst episode of *Breaking Bad*?
1: I think it is. That movie. That, that I episode.
0: don't actually because I remember that, and I there's episodes I do not remember. That one I definitely do. The reason
1: I remember that episode because I was just like, oh, this episode's boring. It's still a great episode, but it's definitely the worst because there's a lot it of de- character development. I, I really not really like it. Like it expands on a relationship. That we already know exists. It but just, they're, it they're in
0: like a, a bottle, so they kind of have to show off exactly how they feel about each other in a, in a different kind of way.
1: No, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. But I don't think it really adds anything. Like, if you removed that episode from the TV show, I don't think you would notice. It's one of those episodes. I guess. kind there.
0: that, to me, isn't really a... I don't know. That doesn't describe how good an episode is. If you could remove That's fair. It, like, as an example, I, I don't know if we, talk, we talked about this briefly on our, our show before... But there's that lost episode, Paolo lies. Yeah. On the where they go off with some side characters that we've never seen before, pretty much in the entire show, where they go into like Ernst. I'm Ernst's sick of backstory. these
1: guys. I'm sick of these guys always having having them the, the know, limelight. The limelight. Yeah. Proceeds to die.
0: That was a great episode. I actually really liked it, and I it's know that good. the thing about network TV is that they can do that or they have to do that way more. As the concept of filler episodes. I just don't know. Well, having one filler episode in The Fly kind of stood out because they don't have filler episodes on AMC that often. Because they only have around 10 episodes a season.
1: Yeah, it just slows everything down. Yeah, which so I, don't, I, I don't dislike. That's fair. But yeah, anyways. Like I don't dislike the episode. I just think it's the worst, personally. Better
0: Call Saul, again, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it just, I feel like it was, I don't know, maybe not... St- snubbed because it was nominated, but I just feel like it just isn't getting the love that Breaking Bad did, and I'm kind of surprised. Even Bob Odenkirk wasn't nominated for Best Actor. Which is ridiculous. Same with Ray re-
1: Seahorn. She wasn't nominated for Best Actress. Yeah. I she don't, has, like... She's oh, unbelievable. Man. There's this... You mentioned it uh, on an episode previously. I think I even brought this up, but there's... Yeah, there's just one scene. It's the second-to-last episode of uh, Season 5. that is the most anxiety-inducing oh, scene yeah. in any tv show i've ever watched and i felt so incredibly uncomfortable and then pretty much the entire uh, the, the entirety of episode or the last episode of season five is just like fully anxiety inducing and
0: even just, be- like before that episode though there's some brilliant episodes i, oh, I don't no, not want to detail but as that season winds down it's really winding up pretty pretty quickly
1: yeah, it, it's a tough situation because I almost don't want it to end because I know season six is not going to bring anything happy. Like we kind of know where some of these characters end up and we can assume where some characters end up and I just don't want to see it. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's almost depressing. I'm very excited. I'm very excited, but at the same time, it's like, ah, I wish it just kind of. like I don't, I don't want to know what happens to the characters. I would rather just, yeah, create this fake scenario in
0: my brain. Even the fact that it's the last season. Yeah. I just kind of wanted it to go on forever in this universe and I wonder is this it for Vince Gilligan's Breaking Bad universe? Maybe Maybe not because I never thought Better Call Saul would happen. It's true. So, or El Camino for that matter. Yeah. I didn't even know that was happening until pretty much a few months before it happened. Was it in a few months?
1: I feel like it was literally like a couple weeks. They just did a reveal.
0: I got uh, some inklings. I was I, Maybe
1: I, they teased it, but I remember, like that was one of like the best or the most well-kept like it was pretty much a secrets. secret. I
0: think it was Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, the two actors, obviously, yeah. in the series and in the movie in some respect, in El Camino. They shot something. But there was a photo of them, and they looked like they were in their Breaking Bad characters. Yeah. And so people speculated that there's something happening. They thought maybe it was Better Call Saul. Yeah, I think people thought it was Better Call Saul. Then there was murmurs of a movie of some yeah. sort. Because
1: I, I just remember the one day waking up or like it being partway through the afternoon, whatever time it was, and the teaser with Skinny Pete drops. Right, yeah, yeah. And I remember watching that and be like, wow. And that teaser's not even in the movie, which is the coolest part.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things It keeps happening. Yeah. You know, more and more of these teasers, trailers, they show scenes that just aren't in the actual end product, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Yeah. Anyways, Better Crawl Saw, fantastic. I highly recommend watching it. But the other movie I was watching, or sorry, the other thing I was watching is uh, the new Netflix movie, I think we mentioned it last week, Devil All The Time. Right, yeah, I watched it too. What do you think?
0: Uh, I liked it. I I really liked it as well. Oh, you went for my opinion first this time before.
1: Yeah, I really, I really, really liked it. I thought you were going to say
0: I hated it. I hated it. It's quite interesting. I thought for one thing like but the first standout idea for me was Robert Pattinson is the absolute chameleon I I have that in my
1: notes uh, Robert Pattinson is such an unbelievable actor it's crazy he, like he's unrecognizable you see his face you see that that is Robert Pattinson but you don't but I could shortly
0: after do you can't click the no it's like Tom I Hardy not. for me yeah similar
1: yeah no I, I yeah dude definitely a very similar sort of situation where Tom Hardy just like kind of melds into all of his roles but Robert Pattinson is absolutely unbelievable. In his role, he his voice. It doesn't seem like it could come out of his body, or at the same time, pretty wild. Or at the same time, it does, and that it's not him. It's nuts, yeah.
0: Because I just watched. Well, we watched the Lighthouse, not too far off, and then yeah, that was last year. We just saw him in Tenet. Tenet, yeah, and just only a few weeks back, or even last week, yeah, we we saw him in. Yeah, we watched him last week, and his voice is so drastically different, and it doesn't sound like he's faking a voice. It sounds like it is this guy speaking in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how... The one thing I I keep seeing is Robert Pattinson kind of describes his ability as not good. Keep an eye out for this, but in interviews and things like that, he kind of describes himself as not as skilled as he is i found that happens just a very humble guy a few times seems. maybe but it's funny because i don't know he, he kind of tried to make it seem like his scope or his range is not that wide but i, I find that his range is ridiculous it's really wide and i don't know anyways keep an eye out for that in, with him in interviews i found that he's done that he's put himself down in a weird way but then you, you kind of just don't expect him to be this absolute chameleon. It's just very
1: self-deprecating.
0: So what else did you think about the movie? Uh, I don't know. I, I
1: I just really liked it. I really like how it, it's funny because a lot of the movies we talked about, I always say like I really like how it respects your time and it keeps it short. But this movie, not, not that it doesn't respect your time, but it really takes its time to tell the story it's trying to tell. It's, it's a very slow burn and it doesn't rush anything. And it's essentially multiple stories taking place that eventually all sort of connect at random points throughout the movie. Right. You kind of sit there and wonder like, oh, like what's the point of these characters or these characters? And then you realize like, oh, that person's connected to this guy, etc., exactly.
2: So
1: on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like also
0: cast, by the way, it's not just Robert Pattinson.
1: Yeah. There's Sebastian Stan who, again, like it's kind of, so they show Sebastian Stan as a younger guy and he looks like Sebastian Stan. And then there's a, there's, I guess a time jump in the movie where Sebastian Stan's older And it constantly looks like he's eaten something. His
0: cheeks are just bigger. I I think it's because he got beat up. He gets beat up by the bouncer.
1: Oh. He's swollen.
0: And it's just for the rest
1: of the movie he's like that? I'm fairly certain. I don't
0: think it was like that before. I mean, that may be wrong. No, I think you're right. Right into a skin Split Focus Podcast at gmail.com. You've seen the movie and you you realize, did he get fat? And so uh, my girlfriend, we watched it together, and she specifically said when we were watching it, she said, why is his cheeks like, like, is he supposed to be fat? But only his face is fat? (laughs) <laughs> looks like he's eating something like. Like. at all times. But that's not what's happening. Where he got his wisdom teeth taken I'm out. fairly certain because he gets beat up by a bouncer at one point. Yeah. That that's the reason why. Because he gets, like, just clocked. I'm fairly certain because there's, like, a short span of time in which you see him mm-hmm. older.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, you're probably right. Bill Skarsgård is also
0: in this movie. Yeah, I thought it was a, a prequel to It at one point.
1: Yeah. He's, uh... It's really good. This movie does an incredibly great job of really highlighting how... Radical religion, like like religious fanatics, yes, it does are are and can be absolute psychos. But at the same time, it shows like the good parts about religion. This, this movie is like very much centered what around. What do you mean? Where
0: where was the good parts? I don't know.
1: Like with the like with the one daughter, you know, like going to pray to like her like dead mother and stuff like that, and you know, like believing in God and giving a little bit of faith and it making her feel better.
0: Perhaps I feel like it made made all the characters that believe in it. It was I I found that it was a very cynical view of religion in general no definitely is. even her she was sort of portrayed as somebody very naive if i'm thinking of the right character in a way yeah, that no, was can... actually quite detrimental to everything who she was in the end i guess so, so like a lot of it like uh, most of the characters use religion as some kind of a crutch to uh, I, I guess excuse their psychotic behavior and sociopathic but there's also like the mother or the grandmother
1: or the aunt or whatever or who they're living with who's just like a nice lady He's religious, you know what I mean? Like it, it grandmother, I, grandmother. Okay, you
0: but mean he, Tom Holland's yeah grandmother? Yeah, like you know she's so just Tom like Holland a nice is religious the lady. is the son to Bill Skarsgård's character, mm-hmm. and he's kind of the main character by the end of the day. His name is Arvin Russell. Mm-hmm. And they're following the Russells pretty closely, but Arvin has a pretty tough time of it.
1: Yeah, he's, he's really he's really great. Tom Holland's really great. He's really
0: movie. great, but I would argue in in the opposite of Robert Pattinson. I don't want to come off as cynical Tom Holland, who I think is very great. I did. I still saw Tom Holland. Oh no, definitely the whole time. Yeah. Which yeah, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't want to say that's a, necessarily a bad thing. A lot of actors, you kind of, you keep st- still seeing their, their character. And I feel like he went to a dark place. It's just, I didn't find that he was the absolute chameleon that Pattinson, turned out to be in this movie yeah I mean.
1: or or like bill skarsgård as well like i feel like bill skarsgård did a very fantastic job in this oh role. yeah
0: for sure this is just dark this movie though in it general, is eh? man
1: it's it's really messed up and it's pretty sad as well um, for sure there's quite a bit of violence in this movie as well which i found quite shocking at points and very gruesome quick The yeah, the first one of those things
0: like nobody's waiting to. There's no like Mexican standoffs. There's no wait. Wait for the violence. It just kind of happens immediately. You're not waiting for them to pull the trigger. They kind of just pull the trigger a lot of the time. It's kind of interesting.
1: Punch someone's
0: face totally in. It's
1: crazy. It's I don't know.
0: It, It feels it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the time, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, and and I feel like this movie has uh, there's very little levity throughout it. It's it's a very serious movie. Not a funny movie, no. Not at all. There's one scene which I laughed at, and it's very early on, and it's with uh, Bill Skarsgård. He like his character comes back from Vietnam and uh, goes to church, and the the pastor is just like talking about religion and all of a sudden just yells incredibly loud like whoa (laughs) he's like i feel god rushing through me whoa and i literally started laughing and the camera immediately goes to bill skarsgård and he's like laughing yeah like as the as his character right and i was like "Oh, okay that's really the only point in the movie that i find there's a brief bit of levity and that it's kind of funny but uh, yeah very quickly does it does it turn away from anything of that sort
0: yeah, like there's moments in this movie that I feel like they kind of give me Fargo vibes, but the part that's not like Coen that Brothers. is the lack
1: of the 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 comedy, the, the dark comedy. comedy. There's yeah. just
0: very little comedy in it. It's there's it's just it's Fargo without the the funny bits, I guess. And it, it's not necessarily to its benefit. It's not bad, but it's just uh, that part is is missing.
1: Yeah, it's hard to watch two and like nearly two and a half hours of just utterly depressing
0: sociopaths. Yeah a lot of sociopaths in this movie
1: every character is every character like every character that we follow at least like as a main character they're all like they're all a little bit crazy
0: potentially i don't want to spoil spoil it so i'm not going to go into who i think is actually not a sociopath because it's hard to keep track but yeah no yeah yeah, a lot of them are yeah jason clark
1: in this movie is also really great jason clark's one of those actors where like i don't really think of him all that often but whenever i see him i'm like oh
0: yeah jason clark he's terrifying in
1: this he's really scary yeah, he is. Yeah, like he, Jason Clark's a really good actor as well. Like, I feel like he's maybe just because he's not as popular as the rest, but I never think of Jason Clark as Jason Clark. Like he's, he usually just kind of Especially falls in into his role. I don't know. I think about like Pet Cemetery, like the remake, which is. Did you watch that? It's pretty shit. But oh, yeah, you I didn't watched like it. it. All right. Um, however, he's really great in it. And, uh, there's also the, um... Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's in that too, which is really great. I didn't um, think
0: you'd forget that one, but...
1: No, I was thinking of, it's more recent, it's that World War II movie. World War II movie? Yeah, with, where it quickly takes a turn with the zombies. It's essentially Nazi zombies, but not so much. Is Jason Clark in that? No, I'm thinking of someone totally different.
0: He's in Everest as well? Mm. Zero Dark Thirty?
1: Yeah, okay, never mind. I'm totally thinking of someone I don't,
0: else. I, I know which movie you're talking about, but it's not... It's not
1: Jason Clark. It's another white guy with blonde hair. I
0: gotcha already.
1: Maybe it's you. Maybe no, it was you in that movie. I don't think so. And then I remember. I think comedian. it was you in the movie. You didn't
0: know I was in that movie the whole time. Dude, you're
1: such a good actor.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
1: Maybe you're Jason Clark right now. Maybe you were Jason
0: Clark this whole time. I'm actually Jason Clark. Oh, my God. So goodness. I wasn't in that movie, actually, about the World War II zombies. As another note, which is kind of neat about this movie about Devil All the Time, you got Donald Ray Pollock, who is the author of the movie. He narrates the movie. I really like the narration. I'm not
1: always a huge fan of that Marish was actually the and, part i actually
0: kind of laughed at because there's a part in which he's just ju- passing judgment on these characters yeah But that's he true. also wrote it so it's kind of funny he's because he's, he authored the actual book that the movie is based on. that's interesting that's so kind of cool it's kind of a neat idea there's i can't remember what he said but he he, he passes judgment on one of the characters one oh point. yeah there yeah i was like oh okay yeah there's a this lot guy, of this, like, attitude here
1: like oh yeah this person like thought this but they were wrong. Like it's sort of that sort of yeah. It's 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 some solid exposition that he provides, and I feel like it really adds to the movie and really clears some things up because it's a good way to know what's going on in people's heads without them doing uh, Gimple speak, Gimple talk, or whatever. It's right. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. this is why I feel this way. It's just this narrator being like, yeah, they're probably thinking this or or what not. In terms of like the negatives in this movie, there's really like I, I don't know. I, I I really really like this movie. Uh, all in all, and when I finished it, I decided to look what it was on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a 65 as of last night, which yeah. actually kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, I thought it would be like in its like 80s or 90s, but I, I, I guess people didn't like it. Really, the two things that hopped out to me was there's two scenes in particular that had uh, camera inconsistencies, or not necessarily camera inconsistencies, but inconsistencies in in, in the shot that it's portraying. Uh, one in relation to um, the the grandmother, she goes to like the, she meets. They go to the church to meet the new pastor, which is uh, Robert Pattinson, and she brings in like a plate of like liver or whatever. And whenever the camera is on her, it's a long, long plate that she's holding with her two hands out. But whenever the camera is turned, it's just a small bowl. It's a sm- much noticeably smaller plate. And every time the camera switches back and forth, that popped out to me, and I was like, oh, that's that's kind of weird. I immediately noticed that. And then also at the end of the movie, there's there's a scene r- involving a placement of a shotgun, where again that's inconsistent with w- what happens. Essentially, a shotgun is in one place, and then all of a sudden it's in a person's hand, and then gets thrown away. Hmm. And uh, yeah, th- those two things popped out to me. But other than that, I th- I think this is a very great movie. I would I would recommend it um, if you're good with some violence and very depressing stuff, and you're not uh, you're okay with blasphemy you know blasphemy right
0: <laughs> yeah if you're, I w- I you're religious, very religious very catholic maybe not the best movie for you yeah but i i don't find that it's necessarily talking badly against religion but it, it's definitely talking it's it's cynical in that the idea is people use throughout history religion as as a as again a, a shield they're using religion as a as a kind of guise so they're they're essentially villains that have come to town or are in town and this town is very corrupt in general, yeah. the, the two towns, I guess, that the, the story takes place. And they're just using that as a, as a shield. And weirdly, the better the person is, w- strangely, they're, they're kind of less shielded by religion or they just don't practice it anymore mm-hmm. because they find that it, they're surrounded by crazy people who are practicing it. And uh, like in the very beginning of the movie, actually, the one guy is in a wheelchair because he drank, do you recall this? He, he drank yeah. antifreeze.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, they they do mention that.
0: Because he believed that God would save him or or something like that. And then one of the guys pours spiders on his face because he believes that God will save him and give him some kind of sign. And he was afraid of spiders, but he believed that conquering his fear was because God... Uh, let him do that, and
1: it really just highlights like how ex- it's an extreme. extremism. It's, they're extreme. Is like you cannot, okay. you can
0: believe in God and in you know Catholicism without going to the absolute extreme. But mm-hmm. it's uh, they're definitely villains hiding in this town or these towns. Yeah, you know, that are just hiding behind religion. It's just interesting. I I feel like some of the characters could have been more. Developed. Fleshed out? Yes. That's, That's the only fair. The thing is, like it's, a, it's a story of villains and could they have been more fleshed out a little bit? That would be the one criticism I have is that some of these characters, they're not really surface characters. You see what they're doing, you kind of get an idea. They're kind of merging together in some capacity, but do, could we have more character development and maybe there's a narration hinder this in some way because your ex again, the exposition is useful, but maybe we want to see inside the souls of some of these characters a little bit better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can agree with that. That's the one I, criticism. I do feel Otherwise like...
0: I, I enjoyed it like you yeah. you did.
1: I guess it's a fair criticism. I, I felt like the, the, the narration really helps kind of fill in those gaps. It does. I agree it's just way.
0: There was the the, the idea of the merging stories seems to be the narrator, like Ray Pollock's goal. He's certainly trying to chug this story along to merge these interesting characters together. There was intention explanation as well, but I feel like, again, each of the characters might have been more developed, theoretically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Possibly. Uh, one, one last thing I do want to say about yeah, this: Yeah, for sure. The trailer not necessarily misrepresents what the movie is, but I, I like I watched the trailer and I thought the trailer was awesome, and I do not feel like the trailer properly represents what the movie
0: is. Which isn't a bad thing because the trailer was awesome.
1: The trailer is fantastic. Yeah, the trailer is absolutely fantastic. But yeah, like when I started watching, I was like, "Oh, this seems uh, interesting." Yeah, it seems like a lot slower than I thought. Thought it was going to be. It, it, oh, I see what you mean. The, the trailer it kind of makes it thought seem... it would
0: be more actiony.
1: Yeah, the trailer makes it seem like it's all way more connected than it is, if that makes sense. Right, That all these characters are—everything is happening at the same time with all these characters kind of together. When in reality, the movie is—it's everything is very separate, yeah—and um, everything that's happening is is essentially happening in its own sort of time frame, and this story isn't really told linearly. Uh, like at the end of the day, it is like it's there's a point A and there's a point B, but there's a lot of like backtracking and like kind of like showing what happened before and then leading up to specific moments that we've already seen. <laughs> Um, and I think that does a really good job. But yeah, that, that is the one thing um, I will admit the the trailer really uh, misrepresents is probably not the right word, but it, it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't properly represent what the movie really is. Maybe that's what uh, threw some people off. But yeah, I really liked it. I, re- I really, really liked it. Me too. That's
0: pretty good. Mm, that's I enjoyed it. Okay, moving on to the news, and this is actually somewhat connected to what we've been watching this week because we just came off of watching the Emmys, the Sunday night Emmys. So, number one. This past Sunday, the 20th of September, Jimmy Kimmel hosted the 72nd Primetime Emmy Award Ceremony virtually. It was definitely a unique live event, with all award recipients and presenters on camera either at home or socially distanced on a newly built Emmy stage. The event was presented as a sort of large-scale video conferencing call in a lot of ways, and yeah, we just finished watching it. What did you think of it, Adrian?
1: Uh, it was interesting. It's, it's a lot less awkward than I thought it was going to be. I feel like it's the best way to put it. It it starts off in a very like the, the Emmy started off in a very interesting way where I was kind of confused. I was like, oh, like why is everyone together in the hall? I was like, no, they they must be using like recorded scenes of people in the crowd and everything, and like it's just edited together in a in, in a funny way.
0: Yeah, the beginning I thought was really good. The first monologue mm-hmm. uh, for Jimmy Kimmel, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. That was the probably the highlight of the show for me in terms of, you know, grabbing the attention. Jimmy Kimmel pretending that he was talking to an audience and then using clips from past shows, uh, it was done very well. And they made a joke of it obviously at some point in the monologue brilliantly done brilliantly done for sure i do appreciate a host i think that the oscars should add a host this year mm-hmm. uh, and that going forward the emmy should keep a host because last year they they ditched one i think they the should bring in john the
1: oscars david
0: washington as the host i want john david washington in everything <laughs> sure that would be cool but uh, yeah even just uh, hiring kevin hart back to admit a mistake maybe and just mm. going from there he kind of i think he said that he, he admitted that he One of his dreams in life was to host the Oscars. And then when he was given the the gig, it all worked out. And then they were trying to force him to apologize. And then it was, yeah, it was kind of a mess. And then they just ditched the the, uh, the host altogether. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good uh, overall. It was a pretty good event. I agree it was fairly organized. I did kind of think, I did get the impression they were trying to do something different because they kept saying it would be one of a kind. And it was like kind of as well run it was one maybe even well run more well run than the DC fandom and that it, this was completely live which is pretty remarkable there didn't seem to be many hiccups which i mean i guess they're probably patting themselves on the back at this point uh, just because again it, it seemed like it ran really smoothly it did considering how many moving parts there would be with how many zoom calls or whatever video conferencing software they were using to broadcast to all of the people in their homes receiving the awards And the way that they presented the awards, with either the people in hazmat suits or sending them a box with an Emmy that pops out of a box suddenly, like almost like a a trigger bomb, or it doesn't have an Emmy in it at all, depending. And they didn't seem to know that they were getting the Emmys, so it's not like they prepared each of the people with the person coming to their house to prepare them, uh, saying, "Hey, you've won already." They were kind of—I think they sent somebody or one of these messenger boxes to the house. And they were triggering, essentially, the, the Emmy bomb or whatever it is to pop out of the box or a person to hand off the Emmy only if they had won. So mm. someone like, for instance, Zendaya, uh, Zendaya, she won for Euphoria, which was amazing. And she didn't clearly know. And that was actually no, unexpected. No, she obviously knew. She's an actor, Simon. Yeah, she thinks she was acting. Yeah. No, no, she she didn't know. like mo- mo- Nobody seemed to know and it was really neat. I think that she was probably the biggest underdog if you looked at like the predictions of what people were predicting, which is Except amazing. Yeah, you predicted you predicted it. it, but it was the only show you had seen other than Ozark. So that, that was, was a good right. point. But then again, going. I had chosen Laura Linney for Ozark for that particular uh, award. To actually talk a little bit about that, we predicted 11 of the top Emmy Award categories and... We can go through them here if, if that's uh, all right with you, Adrian. We'll go through some of them. And just... It is not all right. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> okay, well, we're doing it anyway, so too bad for you. So the first one that we listed uh, last week was Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. That went to Eugene Levy for Shits Creek. Shit's Creek cleaned up. Uh, they it absolutely did. did, and they're a Canadian show, and I don't think you realize that because you've watching the Emmys in the same room, and it seems like you didn't know. Which is cool. So Due to it, my facial expressions, not by
1: my words. because Of don't course, because we don't talk outside this podcast, podcast
0: of course. Uh, but yeah, they cleaned up and they won that award. Uh, I, I did predict Eugene Levy would win. That's it was pretty
1: hilarious throughout the entire Emmys. Anytime they had to say Shit's Creek, they had to put the the, the the logo of the TV show on screen because right. you're not allowed to say shit on Unreal. network TV. They
0: couldn't see it on ABC. That's and so funny. Kimmel was, was joking about that real early on and that HBO can pretty much show anything and they can't. Say Shit's Creek, and they I, to I legitimately the thought it logo. was a joke. At I thought first, it was too, but then all the actors are saying Shit's Creek just through their speeches. Yeah, because they won almost everything. Uh, it's for the comedy portion. It's
1: either one of the best running jokes ever, or they actually had to do it. I think
0: they had to do it. That's funny. So you can't say can't say shit on ABC. And the next one, the next category pitch. was Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, also went to Shit's Creek's Catherine O'Hara. Another one that I did predict, and again, they were cleaning up throughout this. The next category was Outstanding Lead Actor uh, in a Drama Series. And the winner of that was Jeremy Strong for Succession. Fantastic job, as I mentioned last week. I thought he was amazing and uh, well-deserved for sure. I did predict that, so was, I guess three for me. Uh, outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series was the next category. And the winner with that was Zendaya. And I had made fun of you after the sh- uh, our show when we, when we taped. I specifically made fun of you for picking Zendaya. How would I you thought make fun for of For sure. You don't that talk was- this podcast uh It might have been in part we actually cut out uh, of the of the recording. Oh
1: yeah, we definitely cut it out because you.
0: Of course, we can't talk about this podcast. Uh, yeah, you know, Maybe you know, you made we know. Funny to your
1: girlfriend, and I just overheard it, and I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, so something like that. That counts as I can't ten points exactly. for me because you made fun <laughs> it of made me. Fun of uh
0: But yeah, I was so surprised. It was, that's awesome that she won, though. She's I'm fairly young to compared to all of the other people. That is a crazy lineup of people: Jennifer Ass, Aniston, who's been jennifer anderson has been doing this for a long time obviously friends etc i've never even uh, heard of her olivia coleman's fantastic in the crown jodie comer had won last year literally for killing eve laura linney amazing you know yeah, she's amazing. And i literally chose her and that out. also that was her shining moment i think that she was the best in season three than she ever has been in this show specifically and then sandra O oh for killing eve and zendaya took the trophy which is she did amazing
1: and it was well deserved there's an app. I, I think I mentioned it. There's a scene in Euphoria that is just unbelievable. She just does such an amazing job.
0: And, yeah. And uh, you mentioned it last. Uh,
1: last God. Yeah. She. She's. She, she's a fantastic actress. I really like Zendaya.
0: She's pretty cool. Her range is. It seems to be increasing. Yeah. By the by Minute the second movie and TV show. That's fair. I'll let you have that. Next one. category is outstanding lead actor in a limited series or movie. This one went to Mark Ruffalo. Neither of us picked this one up. Mark Ruffalo plays somebody who's uh, suffering schizophrenia, which is interesting. So he's, he's almost playing two characters in a lot of ways. If you even just look at the clip they chose to show his character off before he wins the award, I can see why he potentially won this. I, should, I feel like I should watch I Know This Much Is True. That's the, a movie, right? The movie that he's in, yeah. It's a it it's HBO? A, not a limited series, but a movie. I be- ah, good question. Thank you. No, it is not a movie. It is a limited series, actually. Oh, my goodness. A it HBO? It is a limited series. Is it HBO? It is actually a limited series on HBO, specifically. It is six episodes only. Yeah, interesting. Based on a novel of the same name by Wally Lamb. Ah, yes. Meet. The
1: Wally Lamb.
0: But yeah, we had chosen something completely different. You chose Jeremy Irons for Watchmen, and I chose Hugh Jackman for Bad Education. Mm-hmm. Actually, that the way that that was presented... Um, was interesting by Jimmy Kimmel, he said. Ah, it seems that we finally know who would win in a fight: uh, Wolverine or, Hulk or the Hulks, the, right?
1: And then I don't know. You yeah, didn't like that? You thought that was cruel? No, I was like, it's kind of cruel because the other three people were like, ah, shit. <laughs> like right away, it's like, ah, I guess we don't win this. And then it's between Hugh Jack. Well, it and was so Rumble. quick.
0: He said that he was that. Uh, quip like a was, lifetime to me was quip quick.
1: The quip was quick. But speaking of quip, Quibby won so many Emmys.
0: They did, but the category they're in is kind of, I mean, how they could specifically they specifically
1: made categories
0: for Quibi. It seems like that happened. Yeah. How, did they pay, was that part of the billion dollars that went toward making Quibi? That was actually a savage comment by yeah. Jimmy Kimmel, by the way. Yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah. You, he, what did he say about that specifically? He said the, the, the stupidest thing you'd spend a billion dollars on was yeah. to create Quibi in the first place. I don't think that's true. I do like Quibi. There's Name actually one thing that's stupider than
1: Quibi that someone spent a billion dollars on.
0: Well, you believe it. I thought you like Quibi.
1: I do. I'm just curious if you can name one thing.
0: Well, not off the top of my head. I didn't, ah, I didn't research. Classic. I'm sure I can find something for sure.
1: I think Quibi is the dumbest thing that anyone spent a billion dollars on, but also you like it.
0: The smartest thing anyone spent a billion dollars on. The show Wireless. Did you check out a for Quibi? Just the sidetrack. I saw the trailer. Yeah, for a second, it's pretty cool. The cool thing about it. Did you see what the trailer didn't do a good job
1: in? In 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 portrait mode, it's text messages.
0: Yeah, text messages in, is from his friends or him texting out. Or his phone in general. It doesn't even have to be text messages.
1: I, I like it, but at the same time I'd be frustrated because I'd be like, do I have to just watch every single episode twice now?
0: But it's not a long show. None of this is long. You don't even You don't even have to do that because Quibi is so cool in the way that if you flip it, it's so quick to switch over from landscape to portrait and vice versa. Mm. That I think that, I don't know, it's, it's just a neat way to experience it. Almost like a video game. You get to choose your own adventure in some way. I think Quibi should do some kind of a choose your own adventure. Almost like, was it Bandersnatch from black mirror yeah, you know what i'm talking about that yes. you can choose on netflix where
1: or uh, your Kim- kimmy, where the characters go the unbreakable kimmy schmidt versus the reverend
0: right yeah that was actually nominated as well for it's interesting for well. john
1: ham is in that show do you know that i did hear that daniel radcliffe is in that show do you know that
0: i saw a clip of him with yeah. kimmy schmidt yes
1: it's a good show I, wa- I watched the first two seasons it's pretty funny never went back to it though
0: cool Alrighty, righty the next category was outstanding lead actress in a limited series or movie that winner went to or that emmy went to regina king for watchmen and we both chose that one so uh mm-hmm. yeah that was a that was a good guess
1: so 11 points for me you're at what
0: <laughs> i'm a four year two outstanding you're at four, television 11, movie yeah. that emmy went specifically to bad education i think you had chosen el camino a breaking bad movie which to be honest, in my opinion, I believe is the better movie, but I still chose Bad Education because I thought it was. I thought you said the, the opposite last week.
1: week. Maybe not. Maybe I maybe I misinterpreted what you were saying. Well, I was
0: believing that. Well, I, I really like El Camino as like deep down in my soul. Like I believe that Better or Call Saul should have won Best Drama, mm. but I knew that the one that won, which we'll get to in a second, had won. But Bad, Bad Education I found was like Spotlight. And so I thought that it could potentially even be an Oscar contender, theoretically. But I, I don't necessarily think Spotlight was that phenomenal of a movie. But I can see the, I don't know, I guess I, guess I can see the, the gears. The, the way it's actually built is very, it's like an artisan type, type movie. It's, it's really well built. Artisan. I feel, I feel like there's like, there's no missing piece. You kind of see exactly how it's done, and the acting's amazing, the cinematography, the directing—you can see how it comes together in, in such a nice way. El Camino feels like that as well, potentially. But there's also the—I feel like there's baggage with Breaking Bad a little bit, and that it's just an incredible show, and you're going into a movie. You kind of—you you can't of just watch El Camino. Yeah, you need to know what's going on before. It's still really mm. good, but I felt that that was weighing on it a little bit, and so I don't know. It, it's interesting, but yeah, uh, yeah. Bad, Educa- Bad Education—one for outstanding television movie. The next category was Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Series. That one is actually not at the Emmy Primetime Awards, but it was specifically on the, because it was a few nights prior, essentially. They did all of the other Emmys, the Creative Arts Emmys, specifically. The Last Dance won for that. So that's the Michael Jordan documentary series. Mm -hmm. It was on Netflix and on ESPN. I had chosen McMillions. You had chosen on this one, Tiger King. Tiger King was, I feel like, the one that people thought would win because it was so hyped. There's so much hype for it because it was a movie that everybody watched kind of post-covid people
1: like basketball
0: they do it could just also be because it's really well built that that would likely be the reason no maybe oh maybe uh outstanding comedy series went to Shit's creek again just cleaning up that's crazy the category for outstanding limited series uh went to watchman uh damon lindelof his speech was definitely poetic which was interesting. And I, I was happy that he won finally after losing so often for the leftovers.
1: Three times he lost for the leftovers. <laughs> it was only three seasons.
0: Yeah. It's kind of sad. But it Nathan is. that he won for this. And it, it couldn't have come at a better time, I'd argue. Outstanding drama series, the crowning jewel of the event, typically at the Emmy Awards, uh, went to Succession. And not, I'd talk about. Not Better Call Saul, I I as you claimed, unfortunately. Such is life. Yeah, Succession though season two was better than season one, and that show is amazing. Again, it's a really
1: good show. Reiterate,
0: watch it if you can. They won actually, I think it was the writing award or the directing award, as well for one of the episodes. I think it won both both. writing. I think it was both for for drama. Yeah, it is amazing. It was the same. I think it was the same episode twice that it won for. It was. uh, it, it is really really good, and I again, it's it's definitely worth the watch. That leaves my total at eight. And my total
1: at 11. Continue.
0: All right. (laughs) News story number two. Number two. As reported by web publication Deadline, Netflix has purchased the rights to HBO's Euphoria showrunner Sam Levinson's film Malcolm and Marie for $30 million. Malcolm and Marie was shot fairly early on in the pandemic with a very limited cast, crew, and budget over the course of only a two-week period. As the story goes, actress Zendaya asked Sam Levinson whether it might be possible for him to write and direct a movie for her to star in after their HBO TV series Euphoria was shut down for health and safety concerns. After Levinson decided to take on the project, tenant actor John David Washington was specifically targeted to play a leading role opposite Zendaya. The movie is said to follow a talented filmmaker and his girlfriend who arrive home elated after a successful pr- film premiere only to discover challenging elements of their relationship that they were previously unaware of. Commenting on the Netflix deal, Levinson said, quote, So grateful to this cast and crew, many of whom are my euphoria family, for coming together during such uncertain times. We felt privileged to be able to make this film together, and we did so with a lot of love. We are all thrilled that it has ended up with Netflix, which is unparalleled in allowing filmmakers the freedom to tell their stories that reach audiences all over the world,
1: Cool. I'm actually quite excited for this movie. Not only does it uh, stars Zendaya, but it also stars John David Washington, who I want to be in everything forever now.
0: So that worked out for you?
1: It did work for out for me. Um, and I believe Sam Levinson, uh, he's really great. Uh, I haven't seen any of his other projects. I know he has a movie called, I think it's called like Assassination Nation or something like that. It's about like four girls that just start murdering people or something along those lines. No. I don't know. I remember I wanted to watch it one night and then uh, my lover didn't. But that movie looks kind of fun, campy a bit. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Euphoria is fantastic. I And if this sh- movie can capture that sort of quality i'm more than down for it uh, again i find it a little bit odd though that it only took two weeks to make this movie i feel like it almost feels film like it, a very film It it's produced uh, yeah ways.
0: like written he, he wrote it before that It just they tried to k- cut it down make sure that they could film it pretty quickly um and it was like in a glass building it's like a A spot in California, I can't remember exactly, but it's a specific spot they were able to rent out and then shoot as quickly as as they could. I wonder
1: if it's like going to just be like a bottle episode movie. It
0: seems very much like that. It's just them and their house, uh, which is this uh, glass building, essentially.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be a good movie, and I'm definitely definitely going to watch it once it releases. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see... I don't see anything wrong with this. It does feel a little bit rushed considering that he, I guess, wrote the film as, like, COVID started, which would have been in March. And then, again, you film it under two weeks. Just seems quick. But, again, I'm not—although I'm ingrained in the movie industry a great deal. I don't really know exactly how it—and uh I've never been on a film set, really. I've just—I mean, I've been on a film set. I've never just filmed anything, though, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it looks interesting. Or seems interesting, I guess I should say. Because we don't really— uh you don't really see anything of it. I'm curious when this movie is going to come out. Did they uh, say anything about that?
0: Um, No, I did not see hmm. that exactly. But Netflix has just bought it, so it's going to be up to Netflix. Whatever they think they can do. It. It's interesting. There was a bit of a bidding war with this movie as well. So, like, other places were trying to get it. So it must be pretty good. The house that they filmed in, essentially, was the Feldman Architectures Caterpillar House. It's a glass architectural marvel in Carmel, California, apparently. Carmel? this deadline... Cornical. california it's environmentally conscious as well so I, i'm not sure I, again it does the feel house? very much like it's going to be yeah uh, i don't know if it's like geothermal or all uh, based on solar like for power i'm not certain exactly but it should be interesting well i guess we'll see plenty of the house if the movie is only shot there that would be why it would be quick though right if they can only f- if they only have one spot to film it a bottle episode doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad it's just no like yeah
1: i mean a lot of quentin tarantino movies are Bottle episodes, Reservoir Reservoir Dogs. They go other places in
0: Reservoir Dogs, though, as well. They're not just in that one. Yeah, that's true, I guess. They Hateful
1: that's mostly just in that one shed, the cabin.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's actually very much so, except for the journey to the actual cabin in the It's brief, isn't it? Pretty brief, and that would be a spot that I'd imagine wouldn't. uh, That movie must not have been too expensive to film. Other than paying the actors, it probably would have been pretty good. Yeah. Cool, yeah, definitely excited to see what this movie turns out to be. Number three. As reported by a publication variety, Marvel Studios Thor actor Chris Hemsworth will not be hanging up the mighty hammer anytime soon. When asked by an Elle magazine reporter whether Thor Love and Thunder might be his last movie playing the character, Hemsworth responded, quote, Are you crazy? I'm not going into any retirement period. Thor is far too young for that. He's only 1500 years old. It's definitely not a film that I say goodbye to this brand. At least I hope so, unquote. The Taika Waititi directed Thor Love and Thunder will also see actress Natalie Portman reprising her role as Jane Foster and has been confirmed to see her wield the magical and choosy Nordic Hammer Mjolnir. Hemsworth also expressed his confidence in the Thor Love and Thunder screenplay when he said, quote, After reading the script, I can say that I'm very excited. In this production, there will for sure be a lot of love and a lot of lightning. I'm glad that after all that happened in Avengers Endgame, I'm still part of the Marvel Universe, and we can continue the story of Thor. Of course, I can't reveal anything about the plot, but to satisfy your curiosity, I will say that reading the script, I had a lot more fun than on Thor Ragnarok. And that shows something, because that movie was brilliant.
1: I agree. That movie was brilliant. And uh, yeah, if this movie is just that, but even further, like even funner, even funnier... But uh, like Mjolnir, I'm curious how Natalie Portman's going to be wielding Mjolnir because it doesn't exist in the universe that they're in, if that makes sense, or the timeline that the movie will take place in.
0: Right, because it was destroyed.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they did bring it in in Avengers Endgame, but they brought it back to the original timeline that they took it from.
0: Good question. Maybe they put it back together. Because I imagine the pieces are still on the grass in, in Norway.
1: Norway, yeah. I don't know. That'd be interesting if they do do that. Do you? Um, if they do do that, um, hilarious, made me laugh. So uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. I like. I'm. It's interesting because I don't know how much this is gonna take from the um, female Thor, um, like comic book run. I don't know if you know much about it or anything at all about it. But there, there was recently a couple years back a, uh, a run of Marvel Comics that took place where Thor became unworthy, and there was a new person that took the Thor mantle, and it was a woman. Right. And I'm curious if it's going to follow that storyline. I don't know if I really want to go into too much detail because it's it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting plot. I actually uh, read a few of those, like, few of that run. And it goes to a pretty cool place. And it's not all, like, happy-go-lucky by any means. It's actually quite depressing. Um, so I'm curious if they're going to follow that sort of, um, what's the, yeah, I guess that, yeah, I'm curious if they're just going to follow that sort of, like, comic mm-hmm. book run. Yeah, tone. Um, uh, because again, Thor Ragnarok it's 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 a hilarious movie, but I do think there are moments of like kind of sadness and you know, um With yeah. Taika
0: directing this and writing it though, it's definitely gonna be funny.
1: Well definitely, like, but naturally, I don't know, I don't he think... does a good job at balancing like comedy and uh, you know, drama, I guess. Like the hunt yeah, for the for wilder sure. people I think is one of those prime examples where I mean, it's hilarious, but it's also pretty sad. Yeah, so is uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit, especially. So uh, I feel like, yeah, Taika Waititi has a very cool style, and I think if he continues on that path and continues uh, what he what he's been doing, th- this movie is going to be no less than good. Um, and I'm oh for very, sure. Yeah, I'm very excited for
0: it. It's interesting to see that if he's passing the hammer or passing the torch on to Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. That he's potentially going to be in more movies. Or maybe, I do wonder, based on the language used here by Hemsworth, whether he's just, I don't know, he's just kind of flowering us up. Maybe he is going to die at the end of this. But it sounds like he's going to be in Guardians 3. He has As Guardians, Guardians of the, the galaxy. galaxy. Jinx. So, no, like, theoretically, continued. that could happen. And that sounds like it's going to happen for sure. Well, he's going to the Galaxy first, right? If I recall. No. Thor, Le- Thor, Love, and Thunder's first. Mm-hmm. Oh, wild. Yeah,
1: and they already uh, mentioned that the Guardians are going to be in thor love and thunder oh interesting yeah. so like i imagine it's gonna like just take place it's gonna be some sort of like funny like sort of romp where he's gonna be on the like the ship with the guardians and then they're gonna just leave him behind or something like that right and that is just gonna be like a quick sort of uh you know throwaway sort of thing just for a good laugh and yeah I- i'm very excited for it i think it's gonna be a good movie thor ragnarok is one of my favorite marvel movies if not my favorite marvel movie i still think winter soldier is my personal favorite but thor ragnarok would be a very close second if anything it's just very unique and I feel like it's the I know this isn't true but I feel like it's the first like fully co- comedy Marvel movie like there's just constant laughs throughout the entire movie like every minute there's something to laugh about yeah whereas totally I feel like is. a lot of the movies uh, Marvel movies like there are laughs there's jokes spread out throughout but yeah that movie's just like constant like like constant laughs
0: there's a cool factor about the rag rock as well it's yeah. just something about it Ugh, Taika Waititi's style is just fantastic like, it's really really good that's one of the the coolest things. Actually, talk about that a little bit. You had chosen for best comedy for the Emmys. You you had chosen what we do what in we the shadows, shadows, shadows yeah. which is actually written by Taika. Like he is an executive producer of the show, which I find very interesting. I I feel like I should just check that show out. Like when they yeah, showed the clips as well at the Emmys, it, it looks hilarious. And I think it's definitely worth a shot. It's like not above ninety five percent of Rotten Tomatoes for both seasons, and it. Could theoretically have won, although Shit's Creek, again, took away everything. Yeah. But it's cool that he's also completely involved in this show, which obviously is based upon his movie that he made many years back. I probably will check that out. I think that everything he does is very interesting and unique to him. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does with this movie, too. Did they have a date for this? I know it's tentative now because of COVID, but do you remember if there was a date for Thor uh, Love and Thunder?
1: I want to say it was originally end of 2021 and then pushed back to 2022. Ah.
0: Yeah, everything's going to get pushed back. We, we don't know any dates, really, except for maybe the ones that are coming right like right in the few next few weeks or months.
1: Yeah, it was pushed back to February 18th, 2022.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All righty. Yeah, to I'm, quite here, ag- I guess. I'm
1: quite excited for that. Again, the, what we do in the Shadows things is just so frustrating that like there's no just streaming service for FX stuff. Right, that's to so annoying. We'd cart. have to
0: buy it on iTunes or Google Play. It's quite upsetting.
1: Or... It's quite upsetting. It is annoying.
0: I, I just wish they would just offer it some one of these streaming services just uh, give us the option but the
1: hit app fx now that you can't access without a rogers fucking well
0: rogers probably would have had it if they still had show me around show me of course being the the competitor to crave in canada initially and mm. one of them won out and that was crave owned by bell rogers like owns just FX that licensing out, in canada so it, arguably they could have mm. i know they could have licensed it out to a streaming service i don't know if they would ever do it to crave though it's because it's crave probably not crave bell, craved, bell and know. rogers like, are head-to-head kind of thing
1: I don't know, there's Amazon, there's Netflix.
0: You could do that, yeah, like Netflix Canada. It's
1: mm, true. I wish. Although,
0: actually, Rogers and Bell, this is the strangest thing about their relationship. They both co-own somehow the Toronto Maple Leafs. How? How? I don't know, they're man. Literally I, I barely know anything about sports. They're competing brands. I'm just saying in general, could you co-own a sports team if you were literally competing brands? Is, that, is Doesn't that cross the legality? I don't know. I'm not going to get into that, but I just find that a little strange. Moving on to number four. As reported by Deadline, director Chloe Zhao's film Nomadland has won the Venice Film Festival's prestigious Golden Lion Award. The Golden Lion is essentially the Venice Film Festival's top prize and has been awarded to many a Best Picture contender over the years. Last year, the Golden Lion was granted to Todd Phillips' Joker, while the year before, it was given to Alfonso Cuaron's Netflix film Roma. Both of these films were significant contenders for the Best Picture Award at the Academy Awards. In 2017, Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water took home the Golden Lion while also winning Best Picture at the 2018 Oscar Ceremony. Nomadland is an adaptation of the Jessica Burden novel of the same name and stars three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri actress Frances McDormand as Fern, a woman moving from job to job through the American Midwest after hitting hard economic times. Impressively, Chloe Zhao wrote, directed, and produced *Nomadland*. We are set to see more of Zhao's directing work in the upcoming Marvel Cinematic Universe movie *Eternals*, currently set for release in 2021. Adrian, what do you think of this? Where can we
1: watch *Nomadland*? Is that like, is that going to be coming to theaters or a specific streaming service?
0: Uh, I'd imagine for us, because we live near like a theater that tries to place these indie films, in *Princess Twin*. I'd argue that they'd host *Nomadland* it's a more of an independent film it was at the toronto international film festival as well if i recall but specifically it was at the venice film festival i don't think it's widely released currently and i wonder if it's going to be another one of those movies like parasite that may not release widely until it potentially gets a lot of oscar buzz it does seem to be getting a lot of oscar buzz though um as a note it also won top prize at the Toronto International Film Festival. That news just came out, essentially. It's interesting. I'm, I'm excited
1: to watch this. I hope it does come to the Princess Twin Theatres, and I will watch it in that theatre.
0: Yeah, it seems most likely that it will go there. Uh, I mean, it could come to Cineplex eventually, but it seems, again, uh, like they'll probably win awards uh, at the Oscars before that happens. But we'll see. It's cool that she's specifically the director for the for Eternals. Like there's There was not a lot of buzz. I didn't realize that she was the chosen director for Eternals initially. So it should be cool as well and she's more of an indie director there's not been much by her that's like widely released and so like taika when he was uh, tapped for Thor Ragnarok they're choosing directors that aren't widely known initially which I, I very, very much appreciate on Kevin Feige and Marvel's part, is that they're picking directors that aren't necessarily popular already, which is cool. hmm I agree. Cool. Number five. According to Deadline, a live-action movie remake of the ever-popular Japanese anime film Your Name is in development with Minari director Lee Isaac Chung, set to direct. Your Name is the top-earning anime film of all time, having made a whopping $303 million in Japan alone. The remake will feature a screenplay written by the big, sick screenwriter Emily V. Gordon. Your name follows two teenagers who find themselves inexplicably linked as they magically switch bodies on numerous occasions without having met in person. The live-action remake will be developed by J.J. Abrams' production company Bad Robot, Paramount Pictures, and original anime distributor Toho. Your thoughts on this? I know you love your name specifically. Yeah, it's one, my, um,
1: it's one of my favorite, favorite movies, honestly. It's probably my favorite anime movie of all time. And yeah, I would say it's in my uh, top 10 movies ever. When they originally announced this, I was kind of like, ah, we really don't need this. Um, however, it made me confident when they announced that Emily Gordon, who uh, funnily enough is Camille Nanjiani's wife, who also wrote The Big Sick, is going to be the screenwriter of this movie. And The Big Sick is absolutely stellar. It's, it's so well written and... Uh, just well performed in general, so I don't know. I feel fairly confident in this. I I I hope this is one of those like really well done live action renditions of like an anime. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for this one. Yeah, I I hope they can really capture that sort of like the comedy that the um, original um, movie made. I I really hope they have that, that that same sort of soundtrack as well. And just I don't know. I, again, I'm I'm just cautiously optimistic for this one. I really hope they they nail this. It would be nice to have like two renditions of such an awesome idea. And um, hopefully they knock it
0: out of the park with this one. Has there ever been an anime that's ever been made into a live action that's been good, in your opinion? I'm just Um, feeling maybe there is, but I just feel too up with one
1: in my opinion the dragon ball z uh, remake was fantastic i'm being uh, facetious on that i one. didn't watch uh, it's really awful the show it's, that much
0: or the movie i from what i understand it was critically planned
1: dude it's absolutely atrocious i actually kind of like the death note remake it's different it's very different
0: oh yeah that was made into one as well
1: um and i know like everyone fucking hated it but i, I liked it i don't know again it's a it's an adaptation as opposed to like a full-on remake it's uh i, th- I think it's that movie's fun for what it is, Willem Dafoe as Ryuk is really great, I thought that was a stellar acting choice, and yeah, I don't know, it's it's a different movie, and yeah, it's it's very different from the original anime, but again, I don't necessarily want the exact same thing in a live-action remake, because if it was the exact same thing, I would I would just watch the original movie, but again, at the same time, I'm probably being a hypocrite, because <laughs> I'll, I'll say sometimes that things are changed too much from the original source material, so I don't know, I can't really think of any other live-action remake. I like the Japanese live-action remake of Death Note as well. That one's a little bit uh, closer to the source material. I thought that was really well done, the
0: two movies. Oh, okay. Maybe I should have been more clear. I'm not super familiar with the Japanese remakes of certain animes, so actually the question may have been American remakes because I just feel like they've mostly been failures. Even like the Death Note, that specific one, is a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. So Yeah, I know. The audience like score is 24%. It's not that well regarded. No, definitely not. Um, although that's 39% still higher than uh, Batman vs Superman. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well. But
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of anything. I know Ghost in the Shell. Like I did not like Ghost in the Shell. I don't think that was f- like very well regarded either.
0: That it wasn't was... terrible though. Yeah. That one actually, I would argue, was not awful. But it wasn't, f- it w- I don't know. It's forgettable, that's for sure. Yeah. That's a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. As well, did that come out
1: before or after Blade Runner twenty
0: forty nine? I believe before. Mm, yeah, it came out in twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That I, I didn't like it. At least I can't really think of anything else. May, maybe I will. Maybe I'll bring it up next week. But I can't think of anything. The Avatar: The Last Airbender movie by M Night Shyamalan. That was atrocious.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of bad ones. There's yeah. a lot of bad ones out there. Unfortunately, I can't think of a single. Game. I hope this is good. I'm curious to see if they can. I wonder. I think that they have to be very self-aware or aware what they're trying to attempt because of how many of these have failed like critically and uh, based on what the audience kind of wants. And so I'm hoping when Emily V. V. Gordon wrote the script, she's realizing that she's writing it based on that. Also, she actually adapted an Eric Heiserer script. Eric Heiserer is the screenplay uh, writer for Arrival. Dina Villeneuve's arrival and she created a draft on his script so arguably is a pretty good screenwriter as well so I'm curious to see their combined s- script effort uh, how it might end up in the end. Lee Isaac Chung I'm not super familiar with, Minari's f- fairly well regarded again by critics but again we'll see, we'll see what happens. Moving on to the montage, a sequence of our show in which I briefly present this week's smaller news stories as Adrian delivers a brisk verdict. Number one, according to Variety, Warner Brothers and DC Comics' quirky team up superhero series, Doom Patrol, has been officially renewed for season three on HBO Max. It's not doomed. Number two, as reported by website Vulture, Lovecraft country actor Jonathan Majors has been cast in one of the leading roles for Peyton Reed's upcoming Ant Man three. Many believe Majors will be playing Marvel villain Kang the Conqueror.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. I feel like people thought Kang the Conqueror was going to be the main villain in Endgame or the villain coming after Endgame.
0: Number three. As followed by Website Collider, director Kat Koiro will be directing Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in a romantic comedy called Marry Me that is set to premiere on Valentine's Day 2021. Marry Me. Number four. As reported by Deadline, Orphan Black star Tatiana Maslany has been cast in Disney Plus's upcoming She-Hulk TV series. That is now set to be showrun by Mary Me director Kat Koiro. Oh my god, what are the chances two stories in a row about Kat Koiro? Number five. As Deadline has reported, the Kobe Smolders ABC drama Stump Town has now been cancelled after just having been renewed for season two in an odd ABC decision reversal. What the heck? How how could they do this? Number six. According to Deadline, ABC has ordered a first season of a new Aaron Brockovich-inspired TV series that will star Sons of Anarchy star Katie Seagal and will likely air in 2021.
1: She's better known for her role in Eight Simple Rules.
0: Number seven. As noted by Variety, Quibi's action comedy Die Hard starring Kevin Hart and John Travolta has been renewed for a season two. Well, that's that's nice that they think that they're going to last that long. Oof. Number eight, as reported by Variety, Robert Pattinson's bout with the COVID-19 virus is over, and after a two-week hiatus, Matt Reeves' film The Batman has started filming once again.
1: Nice Batman versus COVID. Obviously, he's gonna win. Yeah, started by a bat, ended by a
0: Batman. Number nine, as explained by publication NME. The 2015 spy thriller novel The Old Knives, written by author Olen Steinhauer, will be adapted into a film starring Westworld actor Dandy Newton and Wonder Woman actor Chris Pine. How old are those knives? Number 10. As reported by Deadline, Berlanti Schechter Productions is developing a movie adaptation of the Bethan Roberts novel By Policeman. The film is set to star Dunkirk actor Harry Styles and baby driver actress Lily James.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Aren't both Harry Styles and Lily James musicians? And that concludes the montage. <laughs> I
2: have
1: to change the end just to make sure that we don't get copyright struck by McDonald's. I got new releases for you. And they are? Oh, you want to know? I do. So this is for the week of September the 21st to September the
0: 27th. Are you going into your Chris Walken impression?
1: No. Oh, okay. It's just my regular... how you were going to treat us today. No, that's just who I am. September 23rd is a movie called Enola Holmes. It's uh, confirmed by Movie Insider and Netflix. It's about Sherlock Holmes's sister, starring Millie Bobby Brown. Sherlock Holmes is played by Henry Cavill. It's true. The trail looks kind of fun.
0: It does. I'm looking forward to it.
1: The next movie is a movie called Oliver Sacks, His Own Life. This is confirmed by Movie Insider and a theater nearby forget which theater. It was like Fox Theater in Toronto or something. I was supposed to write that down. I'm pretty sure it's Fox Theater in Toronto. It's a movie about Oliver Sacks and his own life. These next movies are coming out on September the 24th. Another round. The reason why I know this movie is coming out is because I know it is. It was also on Movie Insider. It's starring Mads Mikkelsen Mads, from Death Stranding, Rogue One, Hannibal, The Hunt, other movies and TV shows, possibly. The trailer for this is really great, actually. Mads Mikkelsen plays like a like a drunk dude. The movie is yeah, it's in. This
0: is premiered at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah,
1: the movie's in uh, Denmarkish or whatever that language is. Uh, the next movie uh, coming out is Break the Silence, the movie. This is confirmed by m.the-numbers.com and IMDb. It's about some K-pop band, and it is a documentary. Now these movies are all coming out on September 25th. The first one that I have on this list is a movie called Kajillionaire. This was confirmed by movie Insider Insider. However, I remember watching this trailer a while ago and I actually saved this in my tabs up until this point because I knew it was coming out. This movie is called uh, starring Evan Rachel Wood. It's about a daughter who's uh, she you know she's in her like mid to late 20s um, and her parents are these con artists. She's all sick of their the gosh darn
0: shit. Is she speaking Denmarkish as well?
1: No. She's speaking English. Oh. Not so made
0: up language Denmarkish? No. Oh, okay.
1: Denmarkish. It's what they speak in Sweden or whatever. Oh my gosh. Um so she she befriends this this person that's all like, Yeah, your parents suck, dude. And she's like, Yeah, what the fuck? They suck. Um, that's apparently going in theaters. Oh. Uh, apparently. I don't know if they're coming out near us, but it's, it's apparently supposed to go in theaters. I thought it was going to be an HBO movie, but maybe I misremembered that portion. The next movie coming out is Rogue Warfare. Death of a Nation. It's confirmed by uh, Movie Insider and the most reliable uh, source on the internet, m.the-numbers.com. So I looked at this. There's, there's two other Rogue Warfare movies that are both on Netflix. The other two movies came out in 2019 and 2020. Hmm, weird. I have no idea if this Rogue Warfare or Death of a Nation is connected to the other two Rogue Warfare movies. It's my understanding that those two Rogue Warfare movies are connected. What is this about? I don't know. Oh, okay. The next movie coming out is a movie called Ava. Ava. A-V-A. Ava. It's confirmed by the most reliable resource on the internet, source on the internet, m.v-numbers.com and Movie Insider. It stars Jessica Chastain as a sexy assassin who assassinates people. It's all you need to know, probably. The next movie that is coming out is a movie called Misbehavior. This is confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet mthe numberscom and movie insider as well as rotten tomatoes i have no clue uh what this movie is about so here just here's the google explanation it's a it's a group of women part of the women's liberation movement and they and they create a plan in order to disrupt the 1970 Miss World beauty competition in london
0: hmm okay
1: yeah yeah the next movie that's coming out is lx2048 it's actually a prequel to uh, Blade Runner 2049. This is confirmed by <laughs> m.the-numbers.com and uh, that, Google. That movie was
0: called Blade Runner, I think.
1: Yep. This is an in-betweenquel. Oh, gotcha. Uh, it's about a dude who's uh, dying, and he's he tries to make sure his family is okay, but the sun is poisoning people or something
0: like that. Does it take place in 2048? Like uh, it has yes. it to do with something else?
1: No, nope, it takes place in... I don't know. I assume it takes place in 2048. Because I don't think the sun is poisoning people yet. Oh, okay. And it obviously isn't in 2049. So they must resolve it by the end of the movie. Again, it's an in-between cool. And then the last movie that's coming out is uh, Otelen- Otelengi, Otelengi and the Cakes of Versailles. It, this is confirmed by m.the-numbers.com and Fox Theater in Toronto. It's, it's about this celebrity chef, Yotam Otelengi, 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 whatever his name is, uh, and he assembles like a star-studded team of the world's most innovative pastry chefs to put on a Versailles-themed culinary gala Gala at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And those are all the movies that I found that were coming out this upcoming week.
0: Nice. Thanks. You're welcome. Cool. Alrighty. Well, let's reach back into the mailbag for a moment here, shall we? As mentioned at the top of our show, we ask our listeners to write into us with comments, questions... And corrections by way of Twitter or by email to Splofocus at gmail.com. And Kenneth Stadelbauer wrote into us once again, and he said, Dear carbon based life forms, by now you have seen the trailer for The Mandalorian season two. Do you think Filoni and Favreau might be putting too many original trilogy Star Wars references in this season? I'm hoping this was the marketing department's edit for the trailer and not indicative of the second season. I'd hate to see them go the Abrams route of putting in so much fan service that the story is sacrificed. Signed, Kenneth. A little quote here. Little known fact. Mandalorian muffins are considered the best in the galaxy. It is the way. By Wookiee comedian You pronounced, You butchered that pronunciation. Translated so, from oh my gosh. Kashyyyk. I'm not going to tell uh, you that, how. That joke the, was pro- translated I'm, from Kashyyyk.
1: Yeah, so, I'm not going to tell you how that's actually pronunciated, but you butchered that.
0: The, the, Wookiee, the Wookiee comedian's name? Yeah cho cho
1: oh my gosh cho i'm not now i'm not gonna come no you're that's Choakit. you're wrong
0: choa unbelievable c-h-o-a-c-y-y-t
1: unbelievable
0: pronounce it with me folks at home pronounce it with me c-h-o-a-c-y-y-t choa no wrong like kashik kashik Nope. choa nope Choacit. Nah. Okay, I'm just gonna stop now. That was a good joke, though. I enjoyed it. I think I feel like I butchered the joke more than I butchered the name, but anyway, it is the way. It is the way. It's it's the way that makes the muffins great. Anyways, um, do you think that the Mandalorian season two trailer? Do you think that they they dived way too much into you know the nostalgia factor, the problem that we had with Rise of Skywalker, and that they they try to get us to uh, or Abrams did anyways, like the whole Star Wars end trilogy the sequel trilogy just by fan servicing it all the way to the the end and goal you uh, think that they're doing this with this season here like the mandalorian season one i feel like they did not do that at all so i'm not, not really concerned in that for that one a I little think.
1: bit but not yeah not much well there's a little bit
0: there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor in the fact that baby yoda's in it at all or whatever the child oh, whoa looks like baby yoda yeah spoilers oh spoiler
1: yeah happens at the end of the first episode
0: <laughs> okay well, he's literally plastered all over social media. Is he? he? Are you claiming that you don't use social media? Is that what's happening? I've never
1: used it once in my life. Oh, okay. Anyways, I don't think it is. I really like the trailer. I thought the trailer was really well done, and I don't really think that's the issue with the Abrams movies. I really like The Force Awakens, and I like that sort of nostalgia factor. I think the main issue with the Abrams' Rise of Skywalker is, is it that fan it— fan fiction. Is, no. it, it, is it just retconned everything that came before it? and Is it's fan fiction,
0: though. That's why that's so bad because it feels like fan fiction all the way through.
1: Yeah, I guess. but I yeah, I don't know. That's my, why my concept, main because
0: no, no fan would have chosen to do what what happened to Luke Skywalker and in, in Last Jedi and all the various choices that Ryan Johnson made were according to fans, not what they wanted. really, that's the the ultimate reason why people didn't like it, right. So JJ. J. Abrams took those ideas and counteracted them and then did ideas that fans believed should happen like, the Palpatine connection with Ray and various other things like that.
1: Speaking of which, that actually came out last week that we didn't mention it on the news, where like Daisy Ridley was being interviewed by um who, who was it? Olaf, who's the guy that plays Olaf, the actor that plays Olaf? Josh Gad. Josh Gad, I believe. I believe that's who she was being interviewed by for whatever reason.
0: Well, they're friends, I think, and uh, they, they're both in uh, Murder on the Orient Express.
1: Yes, yes, that's true. And they talked about the, like, the, the, the trilogy. And Daisy Ridley pretty, well, well, she didn't pretty much. She literally said, like, oh, like, I had no idea who I was going to be. And I, like, when they started filming Rise of Skywalker, she didn't even know who she was supposed to be. It was a surprise for her. And it, that's so glaringly obvious that they had no fucking idea. Right, they did
0: not plan ahead. Isn't and that a so huge problem? Garbage. Automatically? They should have known going into the seventh episode. Like when Abrams was creating that initially, that they should have had a plan for how the ninth one would end. I think that that would have been something that they should would have thought of, but I guess not. Yeah. Like a, at least a blueprint, a skeleton. I mean, yeah. That's a pretty big plot point that they didn't seem to know.
1: And I don't know. Yeah. Like unusual. I just I feel like yeah that what Ryan D- Johnson did with that is uh, like I don't know I, I loved it like oh, you're no too. one and it, it's such a cool
0: uh, stress enough it's one of the better Star Wars movies that exists.
1: I agree completely.
0: So it's too bad that not everybody shares remotely. No. Our opinion, but yeah,
1: but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't find it an issue. Like,
0: the, again, oh, the ma- is for the Mandalorian, trailer. Trailer. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I didn't find that it's interesting that he points this out. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, maybe he'll write in to us again with points in which that they found that he found specifically were problematic. Uh, this Mandalorian season two trailer just aired uh, this past week. And so I really enjoyed it and I'm very much looking forward to the next season. It's coming out on October 30th. It seems like they, they specifically reference season one more than I find that they reference the original trilogy, unless I miss something. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was, I was looking at it. I was watching it. I just thought it was a really fun time. Again, the production values are there. I'm really excited to see where they go with the story. I mean, they could mess it up, but John Favreau did such a great job with season one uh, and with Dave Filoni on board. I don't know. I, I, again, I think that it's going to be great, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. I think with Dave Filoni on board, there's no way this this show's gonna be baloney.
0: <laughs> nice, alrighty.
1: Do you even like baloney? Does anyone really like baloney? I don't like baloney. It's just such a mediocre food. It's just baloney, is what it is. Yeah, but no, I, I'm I'm fairly confident that this is gonna be a good season. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. excited for it. We'll find out
0: if they go the JJ Abrams route. I'm quite excited. Should be good. I guess that wraps up episode twelve. Thank you for joining me, Adrian. I appreciate it once again. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to the twelfth episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and this is Adrian Pinter. Signing off.
1: You know what? Else, you know what? You know what's not baloney. Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. It's not. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care.